Today's episode is presented by Purple Carrot. Purple Carrot is the plant-based subscription meal kit that makes it easy to cook irresistible meals to fuel your body. Purple Carrot, isn't that that emoji that means something? I think that's an eggplant. (laughs) Silly me. Anyway, we love Purple Carrot. Each week you can choose from an expansive and delicious menu of dinners, lunches, breakfasts, and snacks. Every box is an opportunity to learn and experience something new with easy recipes and fresh pre-proportioned ingredients. No shopping, no food waste. Just globally inspired, restaurant-quality, plant-based meals. Get $30 off your first box by going to purplecarrot.com and entering code PODGO30 at checkout today. That's PODGO30 for $30 off your first Purple Carrot box. Purple Carrot. The easiest way to eat more plants. Rocky Horror Minute is rated R. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is also rated R. We're going to spend this time discussing the movie in gory detail. And along the road, we will talk about some adult content and use some of our favorite swear words. Holy forking shirk balls. Son of a bench. Ashhole. Pork blork. Dinkhead. What the here? Consider yourselves warned. Welcome to Rocky Horror Minute, the podcast where we break down the Rocky Horror Picture Show in excruciating detail, one minute at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Leandra. And I'm your other host, Kelly. And as a special guest, we have nobody. Yeah. It appears we have sated Perry Bedden's bloodlust for now. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's our show. <laughs> so <laughs> go ahead and kick this off now. <laughs> let's kick this off now with a breakdown of minute 34. Kelly, did you want to share that with us? <laughs> no? Okay. No, uh, yes, we're good. All right. Say that again. I panicked for a second because my notes were open to minute 35, and I was like, oh my god, I just prepared all that stuff for the wrong minute. Oh, no. But it was not. I prepared all the stuff for 34, and then just accidentally scored 35. So anyway. Okay. So let's kick off this now hopefully murder-free podcast with a breakdown of Minute 34. Yes, and Minute 34 begins with a continuation of Frank's lab speech. The last thing we heard was to life itself and some applause. In this minute, he makes kind of like a gaspy sound. And then he continues, you see, you are fortunate for tonight is the night that my beautiful creature is destined to be born. And then there's just raucous applause. And he heads over to the tank. Magenta and Columbia also head over to the tank and get him to positions on either side of it. It's covered up right now. And they kind of bend over. Magenta does a weird fist thing that I would like to discuss in a moment. And then he says, hoopla. And that's pretty, they take the, that's their cue for them to take the 
sheet off and reveal this empty, well, not empty, this, this tank with, I think, no fluid in it, but a figure wrapped in gauze, like a mummy-type figure. And it pans up the tank from the bottom, and then you see Frank and Magenta and Columbia. Very nice. Yeah, so that's that's the minute. So let's go ahead and just jump on in with something that we've lied to our listeners about multiple times by now. Yeah, we should talk about that. Yeah, we we may or may not, but definitely did say multiple times that Frank's lab coat, his lab gown that he's wearing right now is 100% a reference to the Holocaust. And we even tried to contextualize that. But, and you're going to think this is funny. You're going to laugh, I promise. None of that's true. (laughs) We discovered after recording several episodes that there is a logical reason that has nothing to do with the Holocaust as to why Frankenfurter is wearing that specific gown. And we get this information from Mark Jabara, who is very, very knowledgeable about Rocky Horror and has been in the Rocky Horror community for decades at this point. On December 2nd, he posted in one of the many wonderful Facebook groups for Rocky Horror, there are many things claimed about Rocky Horror that are wrong. They appear in articles, documentaries, and on here. Someone gets an idea, posts it, it gets repeated, but it was never true. One of hundreds that annoy me is the belief that the triangle on Frank's surgical gown is a gay symbol. People say that it's pink when it was never pink. It's red. They say it's harking back to the Nazi identity triangles worn by concentration camp victims, which it most definitely isn't. The very first surgical gown worn by Tim Curry in London in 1973 was donated by the Hammersmith Medical School and came with the red triangle already on it. Sue Blaine liked the way it looked, and all future versions of the costume were copied from the original green gown with a red triangle. The triangles worn by inmates in concentration camps had nothing to do with it, and neither do the pink triangles that became a symbol of gay liberation in the 1980s. Mark Jabera continues, I was around in 1973. Nobody ever used a pink triangle to symbolize anything. It would have been considered extremely poor taste. The only red triangle in an upright position worn in concentration camps was worn by members of the armed forces, but this is purely coincidence, as the Hammersmith Medical School happened to use colored triangles on their gowns without any connection to World War II, Germany. Sue Blaine has commented on this herself and has said that if she thought anyone would have associated it with Nazis, she'd never have used it. Yeah. So we apologize for the several hours where we've discussed this, but now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Yeah, basically, um, that blew my mind completely. It never crossed my mind that that wouldn't have been a Holocaust reference. And I agree. I mean, I think I kind of hinted at this on the podcast. I thought it was in sort of poor taste, but I did think that. Like, I mean, it's it's so. I mean, it is a coincidence, but it's so crazy. I thought there was no way it could have been a coincidence. And Mark is absolutely correct. There are plenty of 
kind of fables, I would say. I don't want to say that they're just outright lies, but there are things in the Rocky community that are taken as truths that are that are not. And this is one of the more ubiqu- ubiquitous of them. And if you discover any more, feel free to let us know either by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or emailing us at rockyharminute at gmail.com because I always love to be wrong if the right answer is far more interesting. There you go, guys. That is a huge fuck-up on our part. Yeah, I'd say that Sue's to blame or maybe Sue's to marry, but this is us. Yeah, no, we're to blame on this one. And Sue Blaine, I know you're probably a huge fan of our podcast. I'm sorry for, since that seems to really particularly stick in your craw. It would, if I were you. Yeah, it would me too. I can only imagine, like, every, because everyone in the community, for the most part, universally thinks that, or at least everyone I've ever talked to about it. So, for everyone to have this huge misconception that you, like, snuck a, well, included a Nazi reference in your costuming, that'd be crazy. So, yeah, thank you, Leandra, for correcting that. Now we can... Now we can lay it to rest. Yeah. So, back to Minute 34 in particular. One of the things that I like most about this is Magenta and Columbia frolicking down the steps behind Frankenfurter. I noticed that Columbia trots down the steps with her hands clasped together at her chest. And Magenta, even though she is drunk, even though she is exhausted, she literally skips down. Yeah. It is almost out of character, but it's what they're doing. And I love it. Yeah, that's a really good detail. But then that brings me to something else weird that Magenta does that I mentioned in my synopsis. What is that fist motion? My opinion is that all of this is supposed to be very well-timed, and it is well-timed with the background music. And my guess is in order to make sure that Columbia and Magenta are putting their hands down at the same time, and you can tell that Columbia is also doing this, Magenta does a bit of a a pre-shake to get the timing on board. That is the only thing I can imagine. That isn't something that I would immediately jump to for any other reason. That makes sense. Yeah. As as somebody who plays Magenta, that was always something that confused me as I was learning her different movements throughout this scene it was one of my favorite to kind of get the timing on i was like yeah i don't know why it's happening but i'm happy yeah i agree and it is fun and it's like uh, it's definitely something like really obvious and deliberate she's doing so it's easier to like to practice than like you know little things like the way she's moving her head or something like that so, all right, that, that's a good call, Leandra, but that is probably what it is. So a thing that happens just a little bit before that, this is when Frankenfurter's saying, you are fortunate. Janet and Brad do this little kind of unnecessary quarter turn so that they're now facing the tank instead of where Frank was an originally giving his speech. And it is very 
kind of over the top, shuffling feet, and the sort of thing that I think you'd almost need to have if it were a stage production so that you can go, oh, we're turning our attention to some other place. And through film magic, we could have gotten that impression that they were watching the action without them actually moving. So I think this is one of those nods to the original staging. The next thing that I wanted to dig into is the the tank itself. Once the sheet is off of the tank, we see a couple of things right off the bat. We see this kind of rectangular, three-dimensional tank, and it's red. It has rivets all over it. There are two sets of ladders. Inside of it is a dummy that is suspended in water. This is very evocative of Frankenstein for people who have read the book, watched any of the films, and it specifically should evoke Hammer's The Revenge of Frankenstein because that's where this prop comes from. That's where the dummy comes from. These were things that were already available through Hammer Studios and were repurposed for this film. And I think that's just super swell. Yeah, that is awesome. And one of the fun things that I noticed right as the, as the sheet came off of the tank is you see these kind of diagonally placed wires over the top of the water. And that's so that the sheet doesn't drop into the water. <laughs> and then they pan down and then pan back up and the wires are gone. Because you're not supposed to see the wires. Sue's to marry. Sue is to marry. Yeah. The, so I guess the tank is not empty. There's Well, I mean, of course it's not empty. There's the creature in it. But I, there's water in it, I guess. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, they. but it is full of water. And once the sheet is off of it, it doesn't even have the wire over top of it. It's just a big old tank full of water and fake body. Why is there water in it? I think that this has to do with the origin of the tank and the origin of the Frankenstein story. It's generally that Frankenstein's monster is in a tank submerged in water. It's supposed to be somewhat similar to a a fetus and amniotic fluid in a womb. So if you kind of extend that to this, we're looking at a tank full of, and when I say water, it's very cloudy. It's murky water. So it could be some sort of slurry. Right. I wouldn't drink it. Yeah. Kelly, don't drink it. I, I'm going to just drink it a little bit and then no, don't drink any of it especially know, when they start pouring more ingredients into it did i ever tell you about a game i played when i was in college called beer or piss <laughs> i'm so upset um i assume you lost a lot uh no well i actually only played it once i was walking down the street with a friend of mine and it was raining and in an alleyway there was a red solo cup full of a yellow liquid and he just looked at me and he said, would you like to play a game? And then he picked it up and he handed it to me and he said, beer or piss? 
and I took a swig. Oh my god. It was beer. Oh my god, thank god. Uh, it, I discovered that the reason it was abandoned in an alleyway. Now, the fact that, I, like, I would never do this now. Even I would not. Because why would it not be piss? It was, like, if you had a beer, you wouldn't set it down on the ground, you know, in an alley. However, the reason it was set in that ground in the alley is because it was raining so hard that it had become very watered down and disgusting. So it may as well have been pissed. I hated it a lot regardless, but... Every day I learn something new about you. <laughs> a new, you learn about a new thing I put in my mouth that I shouldn't have. Yeah. yeah. One, of our, uh, one of our mutual friends used to be a preschool teacher. And one of the pieces, pieces of advice that she used to give to people when she taught the preschoolers and then realized that translate, translated quite well to people who do Rocky is if you don't know where it's been, don't put it in your mouth. So I think about that a lot. Thanks, Rel. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I knew where the bottom of your cane had been. It's true. <laughs> it's true also. It's true also that you are stupid. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to just sample the tank water. There has been a recent, uh, the recent phenomenon of gamer girls selling their bath water. Maybe Rocky could, mm. you know, Oscar would buy it. Oscar would buy it. You would buy it. <laughs> no. I'm sure that there are plenty of people who would buy it. Kelly, <laughs> do not lie to me. Check it, just to like taste it. Just to be like, just so I could say that I did. Yeah. That's Thank you. you. Yeah. That's you always. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wouldn't enjoy it. I'd just be like, oh, my God, you guys, y'all never guess what I tasted. And it was so gross and salty. It'd be salty, right? Anyway. I, I don't know. I would assume so. Okay. Uh, um, so. <laughs> and you're already deciding that you don't like it and you're fantasizing about what it tastes like. <laughs> I mean, yes. I, I would call it an educated guess more than a fantasy. Hmm. Uh, tomato, tomato. So those were the major points that I wanted to go over before I jumped into my showcase of Transylvanians. Were there any other details that you wanted to call out before that, though? Well, yeah. So I've always thought that the Kupla thing he said is confusing and also interesting. And when I listened to the director's commentary, can I, I can't believe I keep calling it the director's commentary, like in every single episode. The, what is that actually, Kelly? It is the commentary, the Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn commentary. In that, uh, they actually explain it, and I have a clip right here. Yeah, and nobody, nobody ever knew what hoopla was in the States. Hoopla! Hoopla, Janet! Nobody knew what that meant. I know. What does it mean? It's like a circus term. Hoopla! Like yeah. with the whip. I know what you're saying, but what, what does, does it actually mean? mean? Hoopla. 
It means attention, applause. Um, applaud. No, if you're like saying, saying to the horse or something, you go, hoppla! Regard it, regarde. Regarde, it's, I don't know. It's something like that. Well, when we did shock treatment, nobody understood over the moon. It's like a symbol crash in variety, isn't it, basically? That'll do. Yes, no, it's sort not. Sort of like, like the slapstick that they used mm. to use. It's, a, it's an accent of... Hoppla! Yeah, something of that nature, that nature. Yeah. So, yeah, that actually I thought was, that was the end of the decades-long mystery for me. And now that I've heard that, I definitely, kind of in the back of my mind, there's some sort of, like, tickling of, yes, I've heard hoopla as some sort of thing that perhaps was said by a carnival barker. It sounds kind of like an old-timey, like, Barnum ism i don't know there's something in the back of my head that's going like eh, you know what this is yeah but, i mean i guess they didn't really still explain like what it means but i, I from context clues that it seems to be like kind of like a voila type of thing i've definitely heard people say no nah, blah 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 and all this hoopla yes i have also heard that but not like just as a single expletive I have not heard it. Yeah. Except in this movie and in Shock Treatment. It's true. In Shock Treatment, it's used quite differently by Weirdo. Can't wait for Shock Treatment Minute. So that there was that. And I also, in the same commentary, I just thought it was fun. Uh, Patricia Quinn just mentioned, I thought the pink room went on forever. She meant shooting, shooting in there. And Richard O'Brien explained, well, it's very time-consuming when you're working in a small area and you have to get many different shots. And she said, yeah, that's why there's so many photos of us just laying about. And I I chuckled when I heard that because I've seen all of those photos, I think, at this point. There's so many of Patricia Quinn just lying down somewhere. Yeah, I enjoy the kind of toddlering that has been captured by the uh, captured on film yeah yeah well and this this is i think she was talking about like just like behind the scenes photographs of her just like yeah i should waiting for her yeah i should clarify by film i mean photography film oh yeah no that makes sense i guess that once upon a time that is how photos were captured i'm dumb anyway leandra were there any transylvanians in this minute and now for a commercial break. Hi, I'm Aaron. I'm John. And I'm Nikki. We host Rocky Talkie Podcast, a weekly program where we talk about worldwide Rocky Horror related news and current events from the shadow casting community. We cover big global news stories about the movie, the play, the actors, and the shadow casters. We also fill you in on all the cool Rocky-related projects that individual casts and shadow casters are working on. We learn a lot about the history of the movie and the community. It's a good time. We just did an episode all about the pornos. Ooh. If you want to learn more about Rocky in the news and catch up on what's going on with other community members, visit our website, rockytalkypodcast.com. And if you've got some news to share, send us an email at rockytalkypodcast at gmail.com. Our episodes drop Thursdays on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. So come check us out and visit us on all social media at Rocky Talkie Podcast. 
We'll see you next Thursday. Snoogans. <laughs> <laughs> you said see you next Thursday. We're going to showcase two Tonys and an Anthony. I'm going to start by saying something that may not make a lot of sense until I explain it. In the previous minute, I said that Henry Wolf was wearing a red fez in the ballroom. And that was not true. Henry Wolf is, in fact, not wearing anything because he's not on the screen. He apparently was another victim of Perry Budden. Tony Cowan is the first Transylvanian that I want to discuss. I went all the way back to the Google group to get this information. <laughs> Kev Boychik said back in 2004 on the Google group, Tony Cowan stood in for Henry Wolf for a few days on the set. Tony Cowan is in the time warp, but Henry Wolf isn't. Henry is in the lab scenes, but Tony isn't. And then Cosmo clarified a couple days later, no, he was actually hired to cover when Henry Wolf wasn't there. Henry had to leave to film after three weeks for The Iceman Cometh. Henry Wolf and Tony Cowan are dressed identically. And I'm sure that that is intentional because one is supposed to be essentially the understudy for the other. There isn't a whole lot of information available for Tony Cowan. The Rock Hero Picture Show FAQ, Everything Left to Know About the Campy Cult Classic by Dave Thompson, has only the, the sentence fragment, also distinctively short, a career extra next to Tony Cowan's name. We do know that he was born on December 28th, in 1939, and it appears that he's still alive. But that's really all we know. So he is wearing those black stretch pants, white socks, black patent leather, leather loafer shoes with a short heel, black tux jacket with sparkly, sparkly red lapels. They look to be notch lapels. It's a red shirt with a white collar, a black bow tie, and black round sunglasses with short brown hair, somewhat curly and flat against the head. It's that bright red slash orange fez. And... It's what Henry Wolf was wearing in this scene. <laughs> yeah. So now you know, and knowing is half the battle, G.I. <laughs> Joe. The next Transylvanian that I want to dig into is Tony Venn. He was born on June 16th, 1944. He's also known as Anthony Venn. He learned how to dance at the Singapore Ballet Academy alongside his sister Yvonne. From there, he got a scholarship to study at London's Rambert School of Ballet, and then he worked with the Scottish Ballet. He continued to pick up work in acting and modeling, including, of course, Rocky. And after that, he had an arc on Doctor Who with the story The Talons of Wing Chang in 1977. Ultimately, he returned to Singapore and he is one of the co-founders of the Singapore Dance Theater. And he passed away on December 16th, 1995. He's wearing black stretch pants, white socks, black patent leather loafer shoes with a short heel. He's wearing a black tux jacket. The lower lapels have a dollar satin covering. And the jacket hangs particularly short on then. There are at least two buttons on either side of the lapels. They're covered with black material and are very difficult to see. 
So there could be more. I'm going to be honest with you. If Ruth didn't see it, I'm willing to believe that they don't exist. He's wearing one of those Transylvanian armbands, an electric blue satin shirt, and the cuffs are lined with white trim. It's probably the same as the one used by Peggy Ledger's shirt. It's closed with white buttons. It looks like there are pleats on the shirt. He's got some silver square-shaped cufflinks, metallic gold narrow horizontal bow tie, and a black waistcoat. It is not a vest since it is clear that it has no back. It's closed with three small black buttons in the front. The bottom flares out to two points in the front. The cinched-up strap in the back can quickly be glimpsed as he jumps off the laboratory ramp to escape Eddie's motorcycle in a future minute. And running across the vest buttons, Tony wears a silver or pewter-colored waist chain. It is a single strand with several accents hanging from it. It runs through the vest, through openings in the sides. Its barbell-like anchors can be seen emerging approximately where the faux pockets in a waistcoat are located. On his right wrist, there's a gold link bracelet. It is thin, but there appears to be an oval-shaped plate attached to it, so it could even be one of those ID bracelets. On Tony's right middle finger is a thick rectangular silver ring. On his right wrist, there's a segmented wristband, which from photo evidence appears to be maybe a watch. In the ballroom, he's wearing a silver party hat with the button end turned upwards to create a scalloped brim. And a single thin green feather is attached to the front. From the top of the cone emerged red, orange, and yellow paper streamers. That hat does not make its way up to the lab. Tony is wearing goggle-like sunglasses. The lenses are roughly oval-shaped and are tinted yellow. The frames are black. He uses a pink noisemaker. I think most iconically, he's wearing a white Andy Warhol-style wig. It's not Snow White has a little bit of gray in it, and it has bangs and kind of hangs over his ears. It's cut longer in the back, falling behind the jacket collar. He might be wearing makeup. That might have just been for promotional photos. If he is wearing makeup, it's just going to be darkening his eyebrows. And then our final Transylvanian that I wanted to spotlight today was Anthony Milner. You might recognize this name as somebody who was a wedding guest in that first scene. He was born March 27th, 1947. And he's not hair. He's not Jesus Christ Superstar. But he is Man is Man, which is where Tim Curry played along with both Henry Wolfe and Anthony Milner. Things that he's best known for, he was Private Dodds in A Bridge Too Far in 1977. He was in Superman 2 as terrorist number two. That was in 1980. And this isn't the same Superman as Henry Wolf. Henry Wolf was in Superman 3. And then he was in 2002's The Pianist as Man Waiting to Cross. The Pianist? Yes. The Pianist. Pianist. Yeah. Yeah. He's wearing black satin stretch pants, white socks, those fairly similar black patent leather loafer shoes with a short heel, black bow tie, black tux coat with no tails, and black lapels. The tux coat is high in the back, revealing a shirt with a pointed center back as if somebody cut a cursive M out of the back. 
It's a black vest, no visible buttons, so they must be black, with dark metallic blue lapels. He's wearing a Transylvanian armband, a fluorescent pink shirt with vertical front pleats and a wingtip collar, white buttons down the front and on the cuffs. Cuffs are trimmed all along the edges with narrow white lace trim. He's wearing a narrow black bow tie, no gloves, two rings on his right hand, one on the middle finger, gold with blue stone, one on the ring finger, blue, maybe an all-in-one ring, and then one ring on the left pinky, and it appears to be one with a red stone. He's wearing black sunglasses with black frames. Lenses are sort of rounded triangles with the points toward the side of the head. He's wearing a conical party hat with a pattern of red and gold diamonds with a small, cheap blue feather stapled to the front. Thin accordion-folded yellow, red, and blue paper streamers hang down the tip of the hat to the brim. The side edges of the hat are folded up to form a little triangular pointed brim on either side. You get another glimpse of something very similar because it looks a lot like the one Frankenfurter uses when he sits down to dinner much later on. And that is all that I have on our two Tonys and an Anthony. All right. Thank you so much. Triple Tony minute. <laughs> um, We're one quarter of the way to an EGOT. <laughs> I really like that. So, do you have anything else before callbacks? Oh, wait. Didn't you have something really juicy for me? Yeah, the fact that one of the Transylvanians switches out with another Transylvanian. No. Oh. And there goes. Ooh. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, as I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. I'm glad to hear that there are ghosts. So, do, sorry, did you have anything before callbacks? Nope. All right. I don't have very many. I have three. Whenever in this movie anyone says, you see... I enjoy to do, to say before it, to say F, let them say you see, and then to finish K spells fuck. It's silly and it's fun. Uh, when he says, my beautiful creature is destined to be born, uh, it sounds like he's saying to be boned, so you can yell to be boned. And then, plus it's true. Uh, and then uh, when he, he's going to snap his glove again, uh, right before the whole hoopla thing, you can say, don't scare yourself this time, and then he doesn't. You're like, yeah, good job, or whatever. Do you have any others? I do. This one's a little bit rough to get the timing on, but right after the F, you see K spells fuck, Frankenfurter says, you are fortunate. If you get the timing right, you can say, spell urine, and he goes, you are fortunate. And you go, eh, close enough. Okay. Yeah, I remember that's a, that's one that you can do with Brad, too, earlier in the movie. Yeah, it's, it's fun. We have fun. Yeah, we have fun here. And then we have Noisemakers for the Deaf. This is in reference to the fact that Frankenfurter is just waiting for applause and whatnot to be over from the Transylvanians. You see a bunch of Transylvanians from above 
on their on their little breezeway. Blowing noisemakers, they have the type of noisemakers that spin around and make that clacking noise. And at some point, the sound of those disappears. And you can go, noisemakers for the deaf, what? Noisemakers for the deaf, what? Oh, you've heard me. <laughs> the only other one that I have is when Frank says, tonight is the night, people of a certain age will think this is funny, maybe. There's a Spice Girls song called When Two Become One, and the line goes, tonight is, to tonight is the night when two become one. So what you will sometimes hear is people go, when two become one. Yeah, it's, um, it's normal is a good word to describe that. Yeah, it's definitely normal. But those are all of my callbacks. All right. Well, Leandra, I guess we can close this one out. I know we close out all of our episodes. And that's going to be with now. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. So get the fuck out. He's right behind me.